affected or something bad happens, God's still God. You know, I, I talked about this Wednesday. God sees this. What is that? The whole picture. We don't see it all. We just see what it, it pertains to us and how it affects us. He sees it all. And he knows that certain things got to come to pass for, for his coming. And uh, we'll see that true. This, um, the acts of people in, in our country. Possibly our support for Israel will go away. And it had to. For all the nations to rise against Israel that's going to during tribulation times, it would have to because nobody would ever do anything because the United States was involved. And God ordains the, the just and the unjust, and everybody's in the palm of his hand. So regardless, you be faithful. You continue to be faithful, and God will provide everything that we really need. In 2016, we had a, a, a desperation. We had an election. We had people frantically running around saying that the, the, it wasn't legitimate, it wasn't a legitimate election, and that, that the Russians got involved. And then we've had the same thing happen with this election too. And I'm not saying who's right, who's wrong. I'm saying there is a, something going on in our country that everybody has put so much doubt in all of our, our judicial system and all of our government leaders that we have got to be on guard, that we are not embittered and we do not become uh, contaminated by what all is going on in Washington, okay? Uh, I'd like for you to stand with me. We're going to pray. It isn't that everybody in this country is not, well, a lot of people in this country is not being praying, but I feel like that we as a group, there's some things that we need to really hold fast to and we need to be secure in our, our walk with the Lord, that we do not get contaminated. I want to ask you to come up. <clears throat> you know, when you hold hands with someone, uh, you're showing agreement. You may not agree with everything that the person you're holding hands with, but there's agreement in this prayer that we're going to hold on to our faith and be faithful regardless of what happens. Let's pray. Father, you know our country. You know what we are in the middle of. And Father, I pray for great wisdom, Lord, upon a president and a president-elect, all those involved, all those in leadership, all those that have been elected in leadership. Lord, we know that the minds of the king is in your, the heart of the king is in your hand. And God, you, you can orchestrate a variety of things that we can never, ever see. But Lord, there's one thing that you have told us here, that God, we have to remain faithful. We have to remain a remnant. We have to be not concerned so much about all these issues and get so engulfed in, in the world's or our country's problems. But God, give us the wisdom to do what's right. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to say what's right. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to operate, Lord, and do things according to what your word says to us. And Father, we give you praise. We give you the glory for it. Because God, we ask for greater things than we've ever imagined in the year 2021. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. I'd like for every man that's in the sanctuary that's from age 30 to 33 to stand up. Every man is age 30 to 33. Every man, age 30 to 33. Okay, I want you to look at these guys. We have a variety of personalities. 
I'm not picking on them. They have a lot of personalities. A lot of them have unique personalities. But when Jesus started his ministry, he was right at the age of these guys. The things he began to do, the places he went, all had to do with the son, all had to do with his age. He was relative. He had to be 30 to become a priest, but he was relative to everything going on in those times. And they were tumultuous times. A lot of things in question, a lot of things up in the air. I want each of you guys to just think about just for a minute. The things that you make decisions on and the way that you're directing your family. I want you to, you know, our sermon series is what? Just like Jesus. There was never a more pivotal time in your life than right now to pattern everything that you are and everything that you do to be just like Jesus. You can sit down. Those guys are, uh, uh, every personality just stood up. Every personality there is, I think, stood up just about. And uh, every kind of background. And But you know, Jesus was, <sighs> he was still young. How many of you remember, I said this last night, or, or not last night, but Wednesday night, or maybe last Sunday. How does a 16-year-old act? Boy, like a 16-year-old. Let's think about this. When Jesus was 16, he probably still had some tendencies, the reason to say things like a 16-year-old, because he was 16. I'm just glad he didn't fall through all the trouble and all the hoops that we did when we were 16. Just like, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Last week I was sharing about two guys who were driving a car and they get stuck in traffic and, and one guy sits in his, in his uh, car real calmly and he sits there and he, and he just passively says, oh, thank you Lord for this break. I don't have to go to my meeting or have to go to work or whatever it was. And he was just relaxing and basking in the moment and just sitting there. And the other, other man, in, in the, uh, the other example I use is me. If I got in a traffic jam, which we don't have too much around here, but if I was in one, I would be panicking, yelling, hollering. I would be out of my car going to look, see what was my, my obstruction in front. And I'd be falling apart, panicking. I don't think that I would be like Jesus in the way that I should. I want to talk to you this morning about attitude and what you do and why you do it. Jesus' attitude was always pure. We know that. We know that uh, at 30 years of age, there was a series of things he was setting up as he began to start his ministry. I'm going to be preaching on John chapter 4 in just a little bit, and i got some other places to go to. But John chapter 1 is about the birth, about, him, about Jesus coming to earth, and, and then chapter 2. Chapter 2, I'll just look. Water, this first miracle, that was it. He turned the water into wine. He wasn't ready yet, and his mom put him on the spot. And so he told him just fill all the vessels, and he turned the water into wine. That was the second one, second chapter. And chapter 3 was a unique chapter because before the ministry really even started, he had an encounter with Nicodemus. And I preached this a few months ago. You may not understand all that, that John chapter 3, verse 16, we all say it all the time. We see uh, Tim Tebow and different pro sports athletes uh, put it on their, uh, on their outfit or on the shirt or, uh, or whatever those things are right there. What do they put those on? What's that called? Football. 
as simple as that. Uh, now I'm like, they can't put it right there, but John 3, 16. And, but all that had to do with a story about a man coming to Jesus because he was inquiring. Something piqued his interest, and he was a Pharisee. And whole, most of the chapter of John 3 through about 20, I guess, or so, it was all about this guy and about, about explaining to him what it took to be born again because Nicodemus truly was hungry. He knew something. There had to be something more. And I promise you this, that over, over time in Nicodemus' life, he would be in different places and he would remember seeing someone who was lame or someone who was a demon-possessed or someone who was, who was crippled by whatever's going on in their life. And he seen them later and he goes, well, you may think I'm adding to this, but I really, in my mind, and I think he thought this way, he would pull himself and he would go to him and say, well, let me ask you, what happened? You used to be crippled. You used to be blind. You used to be maimed or, or lame or whatever. And, and what happened? Something took place. And I know that only God can do the miracle that you needed. And they begin to tell him. Because it was after John 3, he had to open, his eyes were open to things that were what they were. And he began to really have an interest in Jesus. So we'll go with chapter 4. Verse 1, and the Pharisees heard that Jesus was, ma- was making and baptizing more followers than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize his followers, did his followers did. Jesus knew all the Pharisees had heard of him, so he left Judea and went back to Galilee. But on the way, he had to go through the country of Samaria. I want to stop here for just a minute. We don't know anything about Jesus from 12 to 30. But I think that Jesus knew very well the places he was going and the reasons he was going there. In Samaria, Jesus came to the town called Sychar, which is near the field Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jacob was tired from his long trip. So he sat down beside the wall, and it was about 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock noon, when the Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water, and he said to her, Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. This happened while Jesus' followers were gone and were buying some food. And the woman said, I am surprised that you asked me for a drink since you are a Jewish man and I am a Samaritan woman. You can read a lot more into this because it's true. There was a lot more into this. But Jesus went there for a reason. Why did he feel so impressed? What was so unique about Samaria, a place where a lot of Samaritans lived? Why was they so compelled? Let me, let me say this to you. When you look back over, the, over your life and you look at things that happened in your life, why did you give your heart to the Lord when you did? What was it at that time in particular that he spoke to you because it was the right time at the right place? And Jesus knew there was a person he wanted to meet. And I don't know if it's a spirit uh, birthed in him and he knew it because the spirit told him. But he may have been there before and he always watched this woman go to the the well. Go to the well in the middle of the day. I don't know what the reason was, but I know he was spirit led. When When a Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water and he said to her, please give me a drink. And added curse to insult to a Samaritan. It was very possible she was really offended or didn't know how to take him. Because most people would not ask her if they were Jewish. And they both have ties to ownership to the well. 
Jesus' ministry was, was just taking off. And I wonder if there wasn't more to him going there for a particular reason. I want you to get the video ready. I want to show that in just a second. The quality may not be real good. Because um, it's kind of dark, but hopefully you can get the gist of it. Jesus himself had went through a lot of things and experienced a lot of things. But he was wanting to make sure that this experience was something unique. That this woman would not soon forget this. Go ahead and play it. you to notice the little things that happens in this scene, the attitude of which he has, and that he was very real to this person. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? For you, would you? What could a drink for me, a Samaritan? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well. None of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you in the heat. You have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? What do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water, hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. 
prove it. First, go and call your husband, then come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth, heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes, it explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ.
I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temple. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Now, why did he go to Samaria? Why did he go to Samaria? Because he knew there was somebody there who needed to hear him. Someone who had no hope. Someone that had no confidence. Someone that everybody shunned. Someone that everybody ignored. He had, he had an appointment with her and she didn't know it. I began to think about us and our church. And oftentimes when we as our church, we become like everybody else. We're not like Jesus. Our attitude isn't like Jesus. We're like everybody else. We shun certain people. We won't talk to certain people because we're better than them. They don't dress the right way. They don't look the right way. They have, a, they have some stereotype attached to their name that we, for some reason, we feel like we need to exploit it. And we've lost our, our sense of being like Jesus, having the same attitude as him. What's wrong with the church today? variety of things, but this in particular thing in our church we cannot have, period. Nobody here is any better than anyone else. No one here should ever be looking or walk by a group of people and everybody in that group is waiting for you to say something and you go right on. Are you kidding me? You're not a, you're not a privileged person here and we're all the same. You know, I, I talked to the pre-service group about we're on their meeting and stuff, and we have, we have a hospitality group, a group, a connection group that meets people, and they come in, and then we talk to them and things. But it's every one of our jobs. It's every one of our jobs to go out of our way to, to greet people and welcome here. We just have a core that we try to make it, make sure there's somebody to fill, the, 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 fill in the gap. But oftentimes we as, as believers, we don't think that we're that important, that we don't have a responsibility. But you do. If anyone comes here, and we've treated them in, in any way, in any shape, any fashion. We disregarded their person, disregarded them because of how they live or, or what their calls are like or anything else. You are not like Christ. Your attitude is not like him. We become so caught up in our religious little quirks. something else that he brought her. He didn't bring her any condemnation. He didn't bring her any scorn, any ridicule. He brought her the greatest thing he came when he went to Calvary and he died when he brought to us. He offered her a little bit of grace, a little bit of hope that someplace, somewhere, sometimes somebody can offer something different than what everybody else has offered her. Because she already feels like all the Jewish people ostracized her. And she was right. But why did Jesus came? What did he come here for? Was it not to, to restore the hearts of the fathers back to the children? Was it, was it to break down barriers that many times that we have? 
he was not too busy for her. And I think that says so much. We think we're too busy or, or what we have to do is more important. We don't take any time at all to, to sit and try to nurture a relationship or restore a brother, restore a sister. He was actually interested. And this is the greatest thing. I didn't put much emphasis on the end of it, but when all of his disciples came back, did you notice anything in particular when they came back? See, there was a woman, and Jesus was standing up, and they were walking up, and they saw her, and they looked at him like they were in bewilderment. Because they knew who she was, or they knew the reason she would go there in the middle of the day, because she received looks from somebody. She would, people would insinuate things. Jesus knew he would get the stares from his disciples. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It matters about the first person he sent into evangelism. She went back into Samaria and the sidecar began to tell everybody about him. She brought a whole grab. We, we could read some other scripture. And she brought everybody back into the town, all the men that she knew. She brought them back because she didn't have any women friends because they wouldn't associate with her. I've spoken on a subject many times and, and about the invisible person. Many times we walk by invisible people because we don't really see their need or we don't see our, their need for us or their need for whatever. We're just glad they're here, but that's kind of it. Invisible person is someone who just falls in a crowd and never, ever talk to her, never, ever acknowledge her, never welcome her or him. Never. Maybe they don't fit your criteria. And this woman probably didn't fit a lot of our criteria. But boy, she did Jesus. You see, having the mind of Christ is different than the mind of your dad or your mom or your aunt or your uncle or somebody who goes to church all the time. Having the mind of Christ is something that's pure. And there's a reason why you have a mind of Christ. All the stuff that's, that's been in our minds and, and, and what we've been taught and what we've shared before, and many things about what we have done, we need to abolish some of that stuff and realize it's more about what we do for him. No other person, no other lady would go out of their way for her. Okay, I, I know how women are a little bit. Um, and I, I know how men are a whole lot. If somebody don't talk to me as a man... If somebody don't talk to a woman, she'll go, they didn't talk to me today. That'd be great. She doesn't, she doesn't really say that much, but, but it takes it to heart. This woman's whole life had a disappointment after disappointment. Oh, I'm through my first point. I'm not going to preach forever. What did God actually do? He demonstrated grace for her. He spent less time focusing on judgment and what she had done, what she had been. Stay with me just a couple more minutes. Less time on that, and he looked at grace. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to make reference to it. I'm going to read it real quick. You don't have to go there. You can if you want to. Um, 
4 verse 16 says, let us then feel free, very sure that we can come before God's throne for there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us in the time of need. We can come boldly and, and believe God for grace. You may be like this later. You may feel like this later. You may feel ostracized. You may feel like some people don't put any value on you. I want to tell you this. Every person, every single person in this church right now, and even though a lot of people have never come back, every person has great value. Uh, you have just as much value as the other. You do. You have great value. You know, uh, if you have an attitude, because how many, how many in here judge? Every one of you judge. I judge. I judge 20 times a minute, 20 times an hour, 500 times an hour. Uh, I judge right here. Do I want to make sure I hit this right? Yeah, I judge it. And it's, it's proper judgment. It's, it's wise judgment. But there's also judgment when it gets into judging other people in the wrong manner. That's when we become a Pharisee and a religious bigot instead of showing the grace of God. There's so many people that we come in contact with that just need a little bit of grace. A little bit of grace. I need somebody to impart to them a little bit of grace. Maybe employee, maybe, maybe your wife, maybe your husband, maybe kids. In John chapter 8, I'm going to go ahead and share this. John chapter 8, verse 1. Then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning when he came back to the temple and all the people came to him, and he sat down to talk to them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery. And they forced her to stand there before, before the people. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman caught having relations with a man who was not her husband. The law of Moses commands... That we should stone, uh, stone every woman who does this. What do you say we should do? And they were asking us to trick Jesus. They might have some charge against him. But Jesus, I know I've spoke this in a message about he paused. But he just bent over and began to write on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Verse 7, when they continued to ask Jesus their question, he raised up and said, anyone here who has never sinned can throw the first stone in her. Then Jesus bent over again and rolled on the ground. Then those who heard Jesus began to leave one by one, first the oldest, first the older men, and then the others. Jesus was left there alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus raised up and said, he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one judged thee guilty? And she answered him, no. And Jesus gave her, gave her command. Jesus said, I, I also don't judge you guilty. You may go, but don't sin anymore. Now I begin to think about a variety of things about this whole situation. He taught a great lesson in, in some of his statements that each of them learned a lesson. He could have been ugly, he could have been like 
maybe offended everybody there, but he didn't to save her. So he used it for an opportunity to make a difference in all their lives. Been over rolling on the ground. Then those that are without sin have the right to throw. And I began to think, I wonder how many of those men, when they got her, they were picking up stones along the way, putting them in their pockets. Put them in the pockets, put them in the coat pockets, because they was going to have a good time selling this woman. All of them are full of rocks. And how many of us come in here this morning, we don't even think, we don't think we're anything like this, but we're just exactly like the men who caught this woman. And we got rocks in our pockets, rocks in our jacket, we're ready for war, we're ready for a fight. See, the attitude be just like Jesus, is we don't go around looking for the fight. We have wisdom what to say if there is one. Or we don't say anything. We ride in the dirt and ignore. Maybe you have a problem criticizing other people. Yeah. It's easy to do. You get caught up in it. When you hear somebody talking and saying certain things, it's easy to get caught up in the moment. Maybe, maybe you've got a real problem with that. They shouldn't do that. Or I would never do that. Never. Let me step on a couple of toes here for just a minute. Let's say you saw me go down to on the go this morning, get me a Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I popped some heads up in. Maybe a Mountain Dew and a candy bar. Because I like Mountain Dews and candy bars. I like Dr. Pepper's candy bars. I just like soda candy bars. But some of you said, well, <laughs> I thought you was on fast. It's your first fruits fast. And it binds nobody. You are not bound by this fast. You're doing it because you, of your personal convictions, the personal things of, to the Lord, that you're separating yourself from, from some certain things. But so many times if one person begin, begins to, just a little bit, think they're not as religious as us, as us, you're a joke. Come on, grow up. And... Um, I want to tell you what happens to a person that is constantly critical of everybody else, and analyzing and judging everyone else. No, 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 let me say and clarify something. I know a lot of things, my kids over the years, I wish you quit judging me. I'm, come on. Everybody judges. This is not an not ex excuse to quote this scripture and say, oh, you're judging. No, come on. You know, you know what the difference is. We're adults. What happens when you get a real critical spirit and you don't believe in anybody and you question everybody and you question everything and every person? You get a little mass growing in your abdomen. It's a cancerous mass that begins to be unbelief. If you ever see anybody do anything, walk different, talk different, wear the different kind of clothes or whatever it is, you begin to get so critical you cannot receive because of the critical spirit that you have. Divinely appointed meetings, listen, 
divinely appointed meeting was that woman at the well in the middle of the day who was known to get around. It was divinely appointed that Jesus was going to be there waiting for her. Didn't make him unholy. But if you're critical and all you do is sit around your little group and you judge everybody else, There's not going to be any spiritual growth. With that said, self-examination. Repent of the stuff in your life. If you've got little things going on all the time in your head about judgment that you cast and nobody hears it, nobody else sees it, things are all the time going through your person. You need to repent. This is not a sermon that everybody's going, oh, I want to get saved, I want to go to an altar. No, there's a lot of us who are saved in these, oh, I need to get things right. So I've been saved a long time, and I know what it is like to be the critical one, the judgmental one, to, to put down certain people because they wear the wrong kind of clothes. This is not a place in your walk to be putting people down, period. It's to be lifting each other up, encouraging other people. You may be a victim of this cancer mentality. You may be a victim of having one that eat, it's eating you up on the inside because you never live at liberty to really enjoy life. Because you're always full of criticism. You're always full of condemnation. Then Jesus said, she answered him, sir, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, I also don't judge you guilty. You may go now but don't sin anymore.